everybody, and welcome to Mrs. G's Storytime. We are reading the book By Searching by Isabel Kuhn with permission of OMF International, and we are continuing Chapter 12. My club would like to help. Of course, we believe that prayer will help her, but is there anything else you can suggest? Yes, he answered. She's run down through late hours in the life she's led. If your club can send her nourishing food with extra protein values, such as meats and broths, that might hasten her recovery. The ordinary food here is good, but she needs extra meat and such, which a government institution can hardly provide. I promised we would do our best, and he rang for an orderly to show me the way to Flossie's ward. They must prepare her to see you, he warned, so you will have to wait a while. Again, I was taken to a corridor with a locked door. A lounge opened off at the side where harmless patients were sitting around, some embroidering, some reading, one playing the piano. A nurse at the desk was obviously in charge, and I sat on a bench opposite the locked door. Up tripped a young woman who asked me boldly, Who have you come to see? Flossie, I replied with uncertainty. Oh, yes, a nice girl. I know her. This with a loud voice. Her eyes were on the matron at the desk. Then behind her hand in a whisper, she said, She's no more insane than I am. I brought her some chocolates. Do you think she'd like them, I asked, more to make conversation than anything else. Oh, yes, the food here is fine. This is also in a loud voice towards the matron, then behind her hand in a whisper. It's awful. They starve us. Bring her lots of chocolates. And so she went on. Compliments in a loud voice for the matron to hear and complaints in a whisper behind her hand to me. It was all I could do to keep my face straight. But evidently she was known to them. After a few minutes, the matron quietly lifted her head and ordered, Kay, you come back here. See our bondage, whispered the woman, making a mocking face to me. But she obeyed. At length, the nurse came with the key, and I was again ushered in behind the door to where a second nurse had brought Flossie. Then to my horror, both nurses left me alone and locked me in with the patient. I would not have recognized Flossie. She was so thin, a mere shadow of herself. The preparation they had given to her was to drug her into stupidity and then immerse her hair and all in a bath to clean her up. She stood before me swaying unsteadily, her damp hair clinging to her like a drowned rat. She obviously did not know me. I told her my name and repeated it, but she gave no sign of recognition. I offered the chocolates and she opened them eagerly, popping them into her mouth one after the other. Within five minutes, I knew the conversation was useless. It was true. She did not know me, nor could she follow my thoughts. Then the effect of the drug began to wear off. She had been brought to me in the corridor with rooms on both sides. I want to go back, she said suddenly, and started staggering down the corridor, hunting for her own room. As I did not know which one it was, I knocked and banged on the locked door to call the nurses back. But by this time, Flossie had evidently come too. She turned fiercely on the nurse, swore and cursed at her. A glimpse into the room showed me why they had to drug her and bathe her before allowing any other human being to see her. Obviously, she was living like an animal. Heartsick, I turned away and came home. It was an experience I would not care to have often, but the Lord had strengthened me to go through it. At the corner club, I did not describe what I had seen, but merely gave the doctor's advice to send her nourishing foods. I told how emaciated she was and asked for prayer. I also wrote to her mother, and the result was that a sister was sent to Vancouver to visit Flossie and care for her needs. Prayer was made constantly for the poor child's recovery. The girls in the women's board sent cartons of jellied chicken, 
homemade broths, jellies, and other good foods. Still, we were not prepared for our dear Lord's answer to our prayers, abundantly above all that we had asked or thought. Within six months, Flossie was dismissed, cured. After asking the Lord daily to do this, I was taken back by the speed with which his answer came. One day I received a a telephone call from a stranger which ran something like this. Miss Miller, you do not know me, but I am a neighbor of Flossie's mother on the prairies. My husband and I are on a trip to the coast, and Flossie's mother asked me to bring Flossie home with me when we returned. Do you know she was dismissed from the hospital a few days ago? No? Well, she was. She is living with her sister, but would like to come and see you before she leaves, and thank you for what you've done for her. May I bring her this afternoon? We leave by the evening train. Thank you. At three o'clock, then. I sat back in my swivel chair and gasped. Then I bowed my head and thanked the Lord. I waited three o'clock with a little trepidation. I had met two different flosses already. Which one would this resemble? The gay chatterbox? The doped animal? Could she really be normal? The third Flossie was the real Flossie and a distinctly different person still. She had gained weight to a pleasing plumpness, but was so shy and quiet I could hardly recognize her. She thanked me prettily and sincerely, and when she had gone into the kitchen to salute Mother Fitch, I turned to their neighbor and said, My, she's quiet. Do you think she's afraid of me? The lady widened her eyes with astonishment. Oh, no. Flossie never did talk much. She was always the quiet one. She is just like she used to be. Her mother will be delighted. And so we parted, but my story isn't ended. Nine years passed, and I was back at the corner club as a missionary on furlough, a married woman and a mother. What a welcome they gave me. Before the first message, which they asked me to give at the old Tuesday evening hour, I had a telephone call. Isabel, I wonder if you will remember me. This is Flossie. I only jumped out of my skin. Flossie, you back in Vancouver? Yes, but I'm married now. Oh, Isabel, the Lord has been so good to me. I want to tell you all about it before you meet my husband. Will you take supper with me downtown, just the two of us alone? Then I will go with you to the meeting. My husband's coming to the meeting tonight. I got permission to bring him, since John, another man, will be also present. But I want you to hear my story first. I wonder if you can understand my joy. No one who has not mothered spiritual children. No one who has not stood and watched the brand blazing in the fire and then shrunk back from the heat, which almost scorched the hand stretched out to snatch it from burning. That evening, in a little cubbyhole of a restaurant, we sat face to face once more. She was still sweet-faced Flossie. Her quiet manner lit up with a heartfelt gratitude. Yes, I have a good husband and two darling children, and I've never had a reoccurrence. I'm sure the Lord won't let me now. And Isabel, I want my children to be brought up in the church. My husband and I are agreed. We want a Christian home. Just one little peach from a year's harvest at Corner Club. What potential lies in such work, leading business girls to Christ? Often on furloughs, I have heard the impatient remark, Why go to the foreign field? There's lots to be done here at home. There most certainly is, and there are lots of Christians at home. But are they doing it? By searching for him, he makes us conscious of the needs of others and helps us cut channels by which he may be poured into their lives. In no time we find ourselves his fellow workers, and life is rich. But I must go back to my tale, for by now the door to China was opening up again. Well, that's the end of chapter 12. Tomorrow we'll be doing chapter 13, and that's the last chapter of this book. Let us go on. We will be reading a second book by her that gives more details about her work in China. 
So bye-bye for now. I love you and I'm praying for you.